I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Holy shit. What is even happening? Things <laughs> just keep on happening. Lots of them. It's been insane. And, and there is this exciting sense of like, okay, finally, the truth is coming out. Not not just about these particular scandals, but the truth of what lies behind the facade, how things really work in these weird and gross circles. And yet simultaneously, there is this depressing sense that none of these revelations are going to matter, that nothing is going to change, that this is just a glitch in the matrix, and then it's going to be back to politics as usual. Or, or not so usual, because usually in the past, not that it happened so specifically, but in the past, had you been caught smoking crack, had you been caught lying about your involvement in a cover-up conspiracy, you had to quit. You had to leave office. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge 
research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Well, my sponsor, as always, is FreshBooks.com. Are you a contractor? Are you a freelancer? Are you a small business? Are you like me? If so, use this thing. It makes life easier. Cloud accounting with FreshBooks.com. Okay, my guest today is a guy who has tried to do political satire in Canada, and it ended up costing him his job. He wasn't fired. He quit. And you're going to find out why. Here is my chat with playwright and actor Michael Healy. Could there be more fodder? No, there couldn't. There absolutely could not. I, I, I tweeted as soon as the Ford stuff broke. I tweeted to Canadian broadcasters, "When what does it, what has to happen for you to believe <laughs> that that a, that a, a viable show could be made about Canadian politics? You know, at this point, uh-huh. what more proof do you need? You know, the the city literally. I was at the JCC when when the Ford stuff broke, yeah. and uh, everybody in the place stopped. To look at the television screens, to listen to Bill Blair, do everything he could not to use the words Rob Ford to say the guy's name, but yeah. to say that, yes, we have that video that everybody was worried about. Yeah. I was in uh, Los Angeles when the when the story originally broke. Right. And people there, not Canadian people there, were talking about it. It's just – it doesn't matter where it is. It's good stuff. I would be interested in the similar – if it happened in Dublin. Yes. I would be intrigued by that. You know? Of course you – of course. He, he's, he's, he transcends – Ford transcends – he becomes mythic. You yeah. Know? The only way you could write about him is to either write a, a, like a painstaking – minute by minute documentary of his life or to cast him as some sort of Valkyrian, like he's got to become larger than, you can't just like move off of him a little bit and make, you know, a show that's sort of about him, but not about him. Yeah. You know, the stuff is just too good. It's like a turkey that makes its own gravy. You can't (laughs) satirize it because like, you know, like I I sort of put together the perfect political satire in my head, like Chris Farley's still alive. And even that- wouldn't be as good as Rob Ford himself. No. 
is that the problem? Is that why we don't have good political satire in Canada? Is that the reality is, you know, what you're seeing with the Senate scandal, when that breaks, it like there's laughter just based on the reality. You don't have yes. to take you – don't, you, don't, you don't need a guy in a bald wig to make that funny. Exactly. I, I think you're right. I think, I think that, you know, for too long – it was deemed too boring to satirize, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're, unless you're Rick Mercer, and I mean, I think his rants, the things he, the, the things he delivers straight to camera, are, uh, I mean, that's been it for a generation now. I'm exaggerating, but basically, that's been it. And otherwise, it's too boring. You know, you can do three minutes on uh, on the most outrageous thing that your government just did. But otherwise, forget it. Mm-hmm. And now it's too interesting to satirize. Right. You know, so there's a sweet spot there, but we'll <laughs> never find it. You know, if we wanted to reflect our politics in the media, in, in you know, in the, in the, in the fictionalized media. Wait, you mean scripted? Scripted media. Yes, I do. Storytelling, yes. comedy, that's, that's pl- right. plays and, okay. I think you're crazy to, to make it comedic. I think what you need to do is make a straight – you could have a drama with comedic moments. But I think satire has been outstripped. You know, I just, just don't – I just don't see what's funnier than – and this is the genius of Jon Stewart who I was thinking about the other day. Um, all he does is roll tape. You know? Yeah. And he rolls he rolls it selectively and he watches – you know, his it, he curates beautifully, uh, he and his staff. But – but that's all that it takes in that country yeah. for satire. It's just roll tape. The writing is brilliant on that show. But 90% of the joke is the selection of the clip cut to Jon Stewart making a face like, I can't believe this happened. Exactly. And it's that's what you laugh at. Yes. It's just somebody – it's just a voice of reason and sanity going like, oh my god. Maybe it requires juxtaposing the tape with what that same politician said a month earlier. Exactly. And then just Jon Stewart saying this is the world we live in and it's ridiculous. Right. And we have kind of – knockoffy kind of stuff here it doesn't seem to have the same teeth no well i think our politics uh, and again it's tough to make this argument on this day but i think our politics because it's not polarized the way that it is in the states because there isn't a viable part of the of the right-wing party that's fundamentally insane mm-hmm. like there is in the in the states it, it's tough you know you it's it's tough to do what john stewart does here for that reason, I think you can make a very uh, an awesome clip show right now out of just stuff from Question Period. But this pitch is not the norm, nor will it probably maintain. That's right. I don't know if I agree. I, I don't know if I agree that the central premise, which I've heard before, is that just American politics is more rabid, more uh, cutthroat, more crazy, and therefore more – viable for satire than Canadian politics. If you watch C-SPAN, it's not that different than CPAC. Like the procedural stuff is incredibly boring. It's yeah. it's the act of selecting those clips, doing the work to actually put those arguments together. If you're going to look at when something like Saturday Night Live seemed relevant, it was not just putting on a wig and doing an impersonation of a politician. I mean, that's important too. Yes. I, I, I think the first thing I ever laughed at of a political nature as a kid was Phil Hartman doing Ronald Reagan. Right. You know? Yeah. And the first thing I laughed at is that he did a, a very good Ronald Reagan impersonation, which I'm butchering. But a couple of years later, watching like the rerun of that episode, I saw that the real joke was that when the press leave the Oval Office, he dropped that voice and said, OK, here's what we're going to do. It's a military coup in Latin America. Right. And that was the joke is that Reagan's not actually like that. And it was right. like, OK, they're making fun of his policies. and, and uh, Right. But that was all about good writing and good performance. It was, it was the fact that the people doing the satire made it interesting. Right. 
I don't know that you couldn't do that here. Okay, if you reject that argument, then I'll make the next one. The media in this country are uh, disposed to uh, shy away from anything controversial. Okay. I think we might be getting closer to it now. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, maybe this is a good time to talk about your experience. Sure. Well, now we have to make a distinction between the theater, which is where I come from, and, you know, the actually viable media of, you know, film and television. Given your experience, I'm not sure we do have to make that distinction. <laughs> do you want to just uh, refresh people on what sure. happened? Uh, I, I wrote a play. I've been a, I was a writer in residence at the Tarragon Theater in Toronto for uh, 10 or 11 years. Uh, and I'd written a half dozen plays during that period. They produced them all. Uh, the most recent play I wrote, the central character in the play is the prime minister, prime minister Stephen Harper. And that's explicit in the play. The theater rejected the play. They decided they wouldn't take the risk of putting it on. I was told in two separate meetings that they were worried that, that the Harper government is famously litigious and that, that a lawyer's letter would arrive just at the moment of production and they would have to shut the production down, thereby losing all those production costs plus six weeks of revenue and they weren't willing to take that risk uh-huh right Th- this is what i was told now this the, this play so this isn't your conjecture uh, this is a fear of stephen harper is the reason why they wouldn't satirize stephen harper in a play fear of a lawsuit yes now reading ian brown's coverage of that it seemed to come up from one of the board members uh, john mckeller who surprised to learn is don mckeller's dad yes brought up these concerns about libel and defamation you looked into it it's bunk Yes, I hired um, uh, Peter Jacobson, who uh, who vets everything for the Globe and Mail. He's their libel lawyer. He took one look at the play and sent me a very terse email afterwards saying this is well within the bounds of fair comment. That was the most expensive email I've ever received. You know, it cost a lot of money to get that opinion from that guy. And then I thought that would be the end of it. Yeah. And I had the second meeting with the Tarragon where it was pointed out that it's not the getting sued that they were worried about. Well, it's the, it's the, it's them bringing the lawsuit, not the fact that the, that the lawsuit would have any merit. It's the fact that uh, a lawsuit arriving at the wrong moment would cripple the theater financially, yeah. successful or not. Uh huh. So they weren't, they, it's not that they weren't even, they weren't even willing to take the risk of winning that lawsuit. They weren't interested in taking the risk of being sued. Of being sued. Yeah. Now, this is something that comes up in journalism as well, mm-hmm. a libel chill where I have argued till I was blue in the face. You are misunderstanding Canadian libel law. There is a broad exception for journalism in the public interest. Yes. In your case, there's a broad exception for fair comment. This is not in danger of a successful libel claim. And the response is, we don't even want the claim. Right. We're, we're afraid of the suit itself. Yeah. And to a creative person or a journalist, how that would be acceptable in a million years, I don't understand. Well, it, it seems cra- – it does seem crazy to me. It seemed – it's – at the time, you know, I struggled to understand it and uh, – and so anyway, I left the theater and, um, you know, gave up my position there and uh, and produced the play myself six months later. Was there another fear? Because there's also the ca- the question of financing for the arts and the reliance on government money there. And there's this precedent set when the Summerworks did a play that the prime minister's office considered something that was glorifying terrorism. Yes. And Summerworks lost its funding. Yes. Uh, seems like a very direct relationship. 
Yes. The, the heritage minister at the time, of course, denied any direct relationship. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, clearly there was a relationship. Um, it's without precedent for the PMO to comment on on a, on a play taking place at a tiny theater festival in Toronto, a play nobody had seen or read. Yeah. It's without, it's without precedent. <laughs> We're not exactly in an age where people are taking to the streets because of the most recent agitprop theater they exactly. saw. <laughs> exactly. It's, 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 it, was, it was kind of stunning when it happened. And then when, a few months later, the SummerWorks lost its funding, uh-huh. and just for one year, I might, they were spanked, you know, is basically what happened. Uh-huh. The funding was restored the following season. The message was very clear. You know, you do this at some risk. In some ways, I think that makes the environment slightly more interesting than it was, but it's undefensible and outrageous behavior. So, yeah, y- yes, the tarragon saw that event, mm-hmm. and yes, the tarragon was influenced by that event. There is no question in my mind. The tarragon refuses to comment, has always refused to comment about this. And um, uh, so I do feel a little bit, after a certain point, I felt a little bit like I was beating them up and they were just, you know, they wouldn't put up their dukes because anybody who wanted to talk to me in the press about this play wanted to talk about the controversy with the tarragon and the tarragon wasn't getting their side out. And, you know, I I, I love that theater. I, I worked there for all those years. This was just a case of an an overly cautious board member and, and uh, an artistic director who might have shown a little more spine at yeah. the right moment. You said that conservatives are so good at controlling the message, they have the board of the tarragon doing it for them, <laughs> which is funny. I mean, the irony there is that the Harper in your play is just that character, is just, you know, right. keeps a very uh, explicit list of who's crossed him and when. Right. And without having to necessarily exert the influence himself, people know what to do and, and when to keep their mouth shut. Right. Well, they are famously litigious, you know, mm-hmm. they, and they do uh, bring lawsuits that uh, they have no no hope of winning, you know. All of which is to say, I, I now, I guess, understand the Tarragon's position. I, you know, I have a serious problem with that position, obviously. <sighs> On a personal level, it uh, I was very comfortable at the Tarragon. I'm a little less comfortable now, uh, but I'm in the position of, that most, you know, the 99% of the playwrights in the country are in, which is now I write my plays and hope that somebody will put them on, yeah. as opposed to assume that somebody will put them on. And there was a controversy around this that helped the play when you, when you, uh, to your credit, took it. No question. And, no question. And you sure. brought it, you brought it to Ottawa. Yes, uh, the the great Canadian theater company. Um, Eric Coates is the new artistic director there, and and he came and saw the show when we put it on in Toronto, and he said, I want this to be the first play of my of my brand new mm-hmm. artistic directorship. And so uh, a year later, we brought it to uh, to Ottawa. Uh, it was great. You know, we, we um, they did a great job of selling it to the civil service and to uh, – we had uh, – the place was packed every night. Yeah. It was raucous. It was so much fun. And it's – you know, I don't think I, you know – necessarily changed anybody's mind about Stephen Harper. But hopefully I kind of broadened their 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 point of view about, you know, if you show up feeling one way about Stephen Harper, then maybe you should wind up feeling slightly some other way about Stephen Harper also by the end of the show. Yeah. That's my goal. That's a very lofty goal. I mean, let's talk about some other things first. If mm-hmm. the implication was that uh, the Tarragon maybe just didn't think it was a very good play, the reviews were unanimously very positive. Yeah. And if there was this question that do Canadians care enough about their politics to consume political satire about them, uh, I take it the play did well. 
Uh, the play did extremely well. You yeah. know, we sold out here in Toronto. We sold out the run in Ottawa. We have two more productions lined up across the country. It's done very well for a Canadian play, you know. Um, now, he, we're talking about 200 people a night, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're not talking about, you know, 1.1 million viewers. It's not television. It's what it is. And in that context, it did extremely well. Some of the stuff that you work with in the play it felt like you were kind of painting from a different palette than, you know, the this hour has 22 minutes crowd of like, how do we do a Canadian version of this American fake news thing? Mm-hmm. The election of these kind of oddball, no one ever thought they were going to make it MPs right. that the NDP enjoyed was just good material. Great material. Right? Like a writer's got to have fun with that. It seemed like you were just drawn to, and, and it's like, well, let's just pretend that was the conservatives because that's just a great device. Exactly. So, you know, from a narrative standpoint, giving the, the conservatives all of those seats that the NDP won in Quebec means that they have this overwhelming mm-hmm. uh, majority in the House, an unwieldy majority. And so he's got to, you know, he's got to, he's, he's under pressure right away to maintain control of that and enormous unwieldy majority. It also means there's an enormous number of, number of rookies. And that means that I can set up a kind of, um, you know, uh, Pygmalion situation where uh, he gets to take one of them under his wing and teach them how modern politics is conducted. Yeah. So you've got the former St. Hubert hostess, you know, right. from <laughs> Quebec small town. Who suddenly has the best fucking job yeah. of her life. <laughs> you know, she's gone from making $32,000 a year to $110,000 a year. And to do what? She has no idea. She yeah. has no idea. And she's totally amoral, which means that she fits right in. Right. Exactly. Now, you play Harper, and I haven't seen the production. I've read mm-hmm. the play. I take it you're not wearing a Harper wig or doing an, a Harper impersonation. Not at, not at all. The guy on stage is never called Harper, but it's clearly it's clearly Harper. I clearly wanted to talk about this government's uh, tactics and their strategies and how they develop policy and uh, and what the goals are. And the goals are to stay in power as long as possible. Yeah. I mean, it, the satire dr- is drawn from conservative policy, from conservative right. economic policy, from conservative press policy of, of creating little sideshows that distract from omnibus bills that right. get pushed through. Exactly. It, it was about the politics. Yes. I think that this is something as well. I mean – I was thinking about this. I was watching the most recent episode of, of 22 Minutes where they, they try to deal with the Senate scandal and they've got their Duffy impersonator and he's wearing an Anne of Green Gables wig. And, you know, just what we were saying earlier, he doesn't need to be wearing – if the point is to make him look silly, he already looks very silly. That's right. And that's parody. And parody is different than satire. Yes. Is this – I mean it sounds counterintuitive, but I was I, – I, I, maybe I had an, uh, an interesting thought. You tell me. <laughs> Does satire have to take not itself but its targets seriously? Like you, you take Stephen Harper seriously in this play? Absolutely, uh-huh. I, I, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that it's. I think I don't think Twenty Two Minutes does satire. Uh, they they might disagree. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right that it's parody. That it's sort of gag comedy that happens to involve you know people from the from the public sphere, and you've got to engage fully with the people that you want to. Talk about, you know, you, you absolutely do have to engage as fully as possible with part of the goal. Like when the first draft of this play was about selling Harper to people who would never vote for Harper. Mm-hmm. I was I was bound and determined to to acquire his point of view. He's you know? not unlikable. 
in the play, he's not unlikable. And yeah. I suspect he's not unlikable. I think he's a great father, for example. Um, and I think, I mean, he's a brilliant uh, political mind. You know, other people have said it. I think he's got some enormous blind spots. But uh, for, the, for the most part, he does what few politicians have been able to do, which is adapt. You know, they get their own ego out of the way long enough to learn from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the, you know, it's, it's those kinds of things when you start to examine who our prime minister is as opposed to, you know, develop a half-assed kind of opinion about him that make him terrific as a character to play yeah, and fascinating to write about. I mean, the most chilling part of the play, reading it, was when he delivers the speech about all of the conservative policies and social attitudes that he doesn't care about. Right. And that rang true. These are just pieces on a chessboard. I have a few things that I care about. I have an agenda that I'm trying to set forth. And these are right. all just things that I will. And I feel like, yeah, that, that sounds like our guy. That could sounds, be. Could yeah. be. I actually don't know which of those things he actually, yeah. you know, uh, cues to or cares about, you know, and which things he actually just, he has to embrace to maintain and, and build, his, you know, the base. But I guess, you know, I took a shot in the play that he is almost exclusively interested in an incrementalist economic approach to turning the ship of state around towards a more conservative yeah. uh, thing. It's as true an analysis as any other one, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If the starting point of a lot of this, these attempts at, at political humor in Canada are that Canadian politics are, you know, A, boring and B, kind of silly, like, you know, what could be American politics, especially, you know, at a federal level, no matter how ridiculous – the people are, it's the president of the United States. Right. And that has an authority which is ripe for satire and 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 even just doing a good W impersonation is like, that's a takedown of the president of the United States. Right. right. We don't necessarily have the same respect for our politicians to begin with. And unless, you know, you do take them seriously in some I mean like this is like what, you know, like in waiting for government or like it doesn't matter how small the world you're looking at is like if you look at them as real people whose whose decisions have an impact on even if it's just one other person, yeah. you can't have anything dramatically or comedically happen until that happens, right? I mean like otherwise it's just your your point is just that they're ridiculous. You're being funny. You're just being silly, you know. Yeah. And, and I, I totally agree. So it's a manifestation of just Canadians not taking ourselves seriously. That we, we, we don't think that what happens here matters. Look at all these guys. Like, what are, they, what are they trying to run anyhow? Canada? You know? Well, yeah. I mean, that's I, I think that's true to a certain extent. I think that also the, the market for satire is limited. Who consumes the media in this country? It's the people who are, you know, younger than me and much younger than me and probably slightly longer, younger than you. You know, they're... The target audience for this stuff is a cohort that is utterly uninterested in politics. I think that that if the idea is we can't sell political satire in Canada because only people over 45 care about politics. In the States, it's the Jon Stewart's and the Saturday Night Lives that get people interested in politics. And that's often the gateway drug to caring about this stuff. And the point is often made that that people get as much news from Jon Stewart as they get news satire. From John Stewart. That's I, I don't disagree, but I would go back to why we don't have a John Stewart in this country. Yeah, because we can't. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't think that we I don't think that we need a John Stewart in this country. I think that uh, I mean I think that you could run clips of uh, the Prime Minister saying what he said about Duffy six months ago, and then just put that beside what he said about Duffy, you know, in the in the House of Commons last, you know, a few days ago, yeah. followed by the raucous laughter of everybody else in the House of <laughs> Commons, 
you know, just put those two clips together and that's a show, right? Yeah, yeah. But like I say, I think these are sort of extraordinary circumstances. Usually, the outrages that occur in our politics are too small, too Byzantine, not bald enough to be mocked in that way. I mean, maybe that's a good thing to not have some radical fringe two-party-like presence. It is absolutely a good thing. Is a good thing. I'm not sure I buy the idea that like, hey, look, it's not as drastic or, or extreme or radical in Canada to warrant that kind of satire or the interest in it. There are things happening now that are fairly scary and, and you know, are radical in the sense that from the municipal to the federal level, we have politicians who just don't seem to answer to the press and don't see a need to make themselves accountable to the press right. and are doing things that are, are of incredible consequence. For sure. I mean, there's no question that these things happen, but there's no question. I mean, what's the biggest scandal in uh, provincial politics right now? The power plant. The gas plants, yeah. right? So that's somebody – like that's a billion dollars. That's all we know about it. That is the – it's the number tied to it is all we know about it. You, you have to dig down into that story to understand why people are outraged about it. And then when you dig down just a little bit deeper, you realize that the deal that the liberals made to uh, cancel those those gas plants was exactly the same promise that con- the conservatives made and the NDP made during that same election. Uh-huh. So the most interesting – and now everybody that's listening to this is asleep because th- that is – <laughs> That's, that, that is a more typical Canadian uh, right. uh, scandal. That right? everyone would have done the same thing. No one's wearing the black hat and this is, this is just par for the exactly. course. Exactly. And yeah. the fact that it's, you know, I have, to, I have to gas on about it for five minutes before anybody can become outraged or interested and more likely they're just bored. You know? But that's our job as journalists or creative people to make that interesting. That's not the politician's job. I mean, if anything, they, they're very happy to have people no, no, care about sure. it. No, no, for sure. I'm trying to buttress my argument that there's a limited number of truly – satire-rich things that happen yeah. in Canadian politics. Let's let's uh, loop back to, to something you said sure. uh, at the beginning of it. <laughs> when we began speaking about this this crazy moment of Ford, Duffy, Harper, everything happening at once, you said, if nothing would convince the broadcasters that this is uh, – you, you can air a, a Canadian political satire. If, if this doesn't, then nothing will. Can I take from what you said earlier that you have tried to interest Canadian broadcasters in a political satire? Yes. I've uh, – um, over the last few – almost the last year or so, I've been in various pitch meetings with various broadcasters uh, pitching t- two – mainly two ideas. Uh, one one is um, a satirical idea about um, uh, lobbyists in Ottawa mm-hmm. uh, as a way of looking at how policy gets built in Ottawa without looking directly at um, politicians themselves. And the other one is uh, the other one is an idea that I wanted to um, I wanted to kind of write a parallel like a limited series that would run during the next federal election that described what it's like to run an election from the point of view of the th- of the leaders of the three main federal parties in the country and we would make them sort of look like a little bit each of these three leaders yeah uh, and we try and guess in advance what the what the policies were going to be what kind of trouble they might get into what kind of gaffes might come up I try to anticipate what would be going on in the news on the campaign trail right. as the show is airing. That's right. Exactly. That's a very bold idea. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, and anyway, I, I've pitched these um, for about the last year to to absolutely no kind of effect. 
to various broadcasters. And do they not like the idea or do they not like the genre? Are they not interested in political satire? Well, I'll tell you what one of them said. I'm giving away exactly who was said it, but these people said, well, we already have Veep and we already have House of Cards. We're covered in terms <laughs> of uh, political uh, material. Wouldn't the CBC buy it? Though, or, or I mean, it, it's alarming that they don't have anything outside of their usual auto, uh, hour has 22 minutes. Yeah, no. And Mercer, no. No, no, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try to get you in, in trouble with your theater community here. All right. Um, because one thing that occurred to me when I read that this thing had happened at Summerworks and that, the, you know, the tarragon is probably afraid of having their funding pulled if they go after mm-hmm. politicians. Have to imagine that the other theaters have the same thing in mind. All that you hear from people in creative communities is, you know, funding for the arts, funding for the arts. Is this not what you get when you get government funding for the arts? You get artists who are dependent on government and afraid of government and therefore can't criticize government? No. When arts funding is distributed properly, which is to say through an arm's length institution like the Canada Council, then there is no threat. Mm-hmm. More and more – Heritage, uh, the Department of Heritage has been taking over the granting of operating funding for arts organizations. They have been inserting themselves in that process in an unprecedented way. So the reason people are afraid of it now is because it is without precedent. You know, 10 years ago, a place like Summerworks would have gotten all of their operating funding from the the arm's length institution, the Canada Council. And the Minister of Heritage could not have had the effect on them that he had. So it's new is the problem. I missed the moment where all of these... People in the theater community, if they were worth their salt, would have cried bloody murder at something like that happening, right? Yes. When did when did that happen or not happen? Well, I, I mean, I, I I can't speak about my you know my personal the, the thing that happened to me. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, there were some people that I had people telling me to shut up, stop whining. You know, you're a very privileged guy, and I had people saying that this. You know, I had people saying that it was outrageous. More universally is the situation at at. Summerworks, right? This was seen by nearly everybody as direct intervention by the by the heritage minister. But you had to accept that you were going out on a limb and taking a real chance if vis-a-vis your own funding, if you spoke out. Many did. But yeah, it's it's there's there's no money. You know, there's yeah. no money. It's a ridiculous art form. You know, it's the least cost-effective art form in the history of anything. You know, its only appeal is that it is a live event that happens in a kind of communal setting. And those things are, are to me, the reasons why I'll always work in the theater. But those things are also why it makes it an enormous pain in the ass. Because a bad night in the theater is like a bad night nowhere else. You can, you can walk out of a bad movie and go, well, fuck that. Let's go have dinner. And, but you walk out of a the theater and it's been two hours and you're miserable and it's like I am – I'm 10 years older now. Like it's that much worse. Oh, you want to chew your leg off to yeah, get out. I mean exactly. it's, you're just painfully aware that you are watching bad theater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or theater that just doesn't for whatever reason work for you, you know? Yeah. So it's it's a ridiculous art form. There's no money attached to it. People my age have long since gotten out of it. People with more sense. Uh, and um, – there now you've got me in trouble with the theater community. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not if it's not too much of a ghetto for you, you're saying 
What about theater about Canadian politics? Yes, exactly. Really. Yeah, which, uh, well, put some swearing in there and that takes, you know, a third of the theaters in the country right out of the running uh-huh. immediately. Uh, and then, you know, make it topical and then and then that's it. You know, you're consigning yourself to a handful of theaters or the joys of self-production. <laughs> God bless. Are you working on another one? Uh, up until last week, I would have said no. But now I've started on another play about an even less interesting character, Joe Clark. Really? Yes. Wow. I'm taking – my wife calls it the new boringness. We're going – we're not going to stop until we write – the least interesting thing that we can think of and somehow make that compelling. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, I kind of get where you're coming from. I mean, you know, this this uh, cast of characters that we mentioned between Ford, Duffy, and Harper. Mm. Harper is the least clownish, the least obvious target for satire. He's, yeah. I think, a challenge for anyone doing an impersonation. No one's really been able to nail him. For sure. The most interesting. There's just such a wall between who that guy actually is and what he puts out. Yeah. It's so controlled. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. I I, I mean, he's the first world leader in a generation who, who has gotten elected with the benefit of absolutely no charisma. Like the opposite of charisma. Yes, that's right. He And Paul Wells in his most recent book talks about what the opposite of that charisma is and why it works for him. You know, uh-huh. the kind of, the kind of, when he's so blank that you can actually impose your own beliefs yeah. on the guy, then that's comedy gold. It's not only comedy gold, it's political gold, you know? <laughs> so It's almost like a partnership between you and him. Exactly. Uh, thanks, Michael. Thank you. All right, that's the show. Hey, the play that we were talking about the whole time, uh, that's a play by Michael Healy called Proud. I'm going to go check it out when it's staged again. Maybe you should too. This show has a website. It's at canadalandshow.com, and I will be posting our second video there soon. I am on Twitter, at Jesse Brown. And I welcome your emails with guest suggestions, among whatever else you want to say to me, at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Next show's next Monday. If you like this one, recommend it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.